Well, first of all, I'd like to thank you for inviting me to come preach. Also, for your support. Uh, it has been a very challenging year at uh, Penn State. Um, we, uh, we're still in a lot of restrictions, but tomorrow we have a meeting, and they're going to announce at the meeting that we'll be able to go back to norm, nor, hopefully a more normal schedule in the fall. Um, one thing I want to report to you, uh, uh, some of y'all may have been praying for a student, a Vietnamese student who's a nuclear engineer that uh, we've been reaching out to. Well, he has become a Christian. He's from Vietnam. And uh, he is uh, delightful. Uh, he announced to me uh, a few months ago, he and I have been going through the book of John. He announced to me a few months ago, he said, he said, there's, uh, he said there's no way I'm going to get this this uh, PhD unless it's through prayer to Jesus. And so um, a, a delight, inviting him to, into the kingdom, and we look forward to the time that he can come for baptism and everything. So again, thank you for your support, prayers. Thank you, Jack, for your leadership here to the, to the missions team. Uh, let's turn our scriptures this morning to Acts chapter 14, starting at verse 8. Acts chapter 14, starting with verse 8. Listen here, for this is God's word. Now at Leicester there was a man sitting uh, who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looked intently at him, seeing that he had faith to be made well, and said in a loud voice, Stand up on your feet! And he sprang up and began to been walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying, Laconium, the gods have come down to us in likeness of men. Barnabas they, they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garland to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice to the crowds. But when the apostles uh, Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you. We bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them. In past generations, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without a witness. For he did, did good by giving you rains from heaven, fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with those words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city. And the next day he went with Barnabas to Derb. Uh, <clears throat> when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the, the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, 
with prayer and fasting they committed, committed them to the Lord and whom they had believed. Father, Father, we thank you for the word. <clears throat> we pray that you would uh, be your servant as he brings this word to the people this morning. If there's anything he would say that's not according to the word, we pray that you would wipe it out of the memory of your people. For us in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Um, we, we've been up here six years now, and I still remember that first week we arrived in the north. And some people at Oakwood, where we go to church, invited us to a barbecue. And we were really excited, because you know Southerners and barbecue. Okay. Uh, well, you know, to really have a good Southern barbecue, you have to do two things. You have to kill a chicken and a pig. Okay. All right. And that's what I was expecting. And our friends invited us over. They had some other people from the church. We were sitting around. And I, I arrived. And the first thing I asked my host, I said, what kind of sauce do you use on your barbecue? He sort of looked at me and said, well, we don't use sauce. And I said, oh, you must be a dry rub man. And they said, no. And then they handed me a hot dog and a hamburger. And I thought, <clears throat> I am no longer in the South. <laughs> you know, cultural confusion, uh, cultural confusion is something that we have all over. Something that your missionaries that you saw this morning, they deal with every day. And I deal with every day on our campus. I, you know, we're 142 different countries that we deal with. Um, right, right now, about 9,100 students. And so they're always difficulty with culture. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The gospel and cultural confusion, what Paul and Barnabas went to, even in their missionary journey. So let's dig in. Let's start with the, uh, our first verse this morning. Now in Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled and, uh, from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looked intently on him, seeing that he had faith to be made well, and said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And what happened? He sprang up and began to walk. You see here, we see the power of the gospel. During Paul's sermon, he notices a lame man, and he catches his eye. Now this morning... Uh, that's what a lot of preachers do, you know, when, when I preach. Uh, I usually catch somebody's eye. I'll, I'll find somebody. Let's do the, the I did the did down floor. I'll do the balcony this time. Like this lady, these ladies over here, right? you know, I could sit here and preach to you and stare at you, and you would feel very uncomfortable after a while <laughs> because you would say the preacher is, have you ever thought the preacher was preaching exactly at you, you know, because he looked at you or something like that? So I'll just continue to look at the ladies up here. No, I won't. I won't do that to you. But uh, what happens is you catch somebody's eye, and you see how they react to your sermon. A friend of mine, I invited a friend of mine to my youth group one time to speak, and uh, back when I was a pastor, and he was telling me a story. After he spoke, he said, there was a boy sitting right here, and as I spoke, I, I, I sort of noticed that he... He was doing all the signals like, I don't want to be here. You know, fidgeting, 
you know, looking on his phone, you know, doing all those things that, you know, he's there because his private parents said, you're going to be there, okay? And as I, I locked eyes with him, and as I preached, I began to notice he got still. And his countenance changed to one that was before very hardened, and then it became softer and softer and softer. And afterwards, my friend found that boy and talked to him, and it turned out that during that sermon, that young man became a Christian. And before his very eyes, before his very eyes, he saw him do that. So this is not something that unusual. It still happens today. And because we have a gospel that is powerful, it changes people. It makes people whole. And, and, you know, and just like this missions conference, just Mission Sunday, you know, all these people that you've talked to, uh, seen on this video, they're around this world. Imagine. And they're there to do what? Take the gospel to people that don't know Jesus. You know, the young lady um, uh, that's in Indonesia, I mean, she's doing it. I mean, she's doing a very special work there, guys. I mean, she's in danger every day. Indonesia is not a safe place. It's not a safe place. But yet she is there sharing the gospel with those who do not and cannot hear it. Every day he's doing that. And that's what Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journey were taking the gospel to these towns. But here at Lystra, they became a, it became a problem. The power of the gospel is misunderstood. So what happens after the crowd sees what has happened? This guy who'd been, who'd been um, unable to walk ever knows that. And suddenly he's walking around by something that Paul said. The crowds go crazy. When the crowd saw that, what Paul had done... They lifted their voices, saying in Laconium. So probably Paul doesn't understand Laconium. But, um, but the people there are, uh, are, uh, certainly are speaking their own, son, uh, own language. And they said, the gods have come down to us in likeness of men. Let me tell you about Laconium, first of all. Laconium was a uh, Roman colony. It was settled in 6 B.C. by Augustus and made a Roman colony, which means basically this. Most of the people that are settled there are retired Roman soldiers okay, and their families. So it's an entirely Gentile place. There's not a lot of Jews here, but mainly retired Roman soldiers. And so what happens as Paul is relating the gospel to them and does this miracle, they relate back to something that was in their own culture. And that was the fact that there's a, 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 a legend that Zeus and Hermes had come down and come to their town. And let, let me read about it here to you real quick here. The legend says, Zeus and Hermes came disguised as humans. They came seeking hospitality. Only one couple received them, and consequently their home was changed into a golden roof temple with marble columns. The rest of the people who refused hospitality were destroyed. They thought Barnabas 
was Zeus, and Paul was Hermes, his messenger. In order to preclude divine anger, they honored them as gods. So what these people have done, they've taken a legend from their own history, their own culture, and imprinted that on Paul and Barnabas. On Paul and Barnabas. You know, that kind of thing happens in missions a lot. That's why you have to be careful what you say sometimes when you're, when you're speaking about the gospel. Uh, there's, a, there's a book by a missionary by Don Richardson. His name, the name of the book is Peace Child. I don't know if y'all have ever read, uh, ever read that book before. But the, he and his wife went to Papua New Guinea in the early 60s. And they went to a tribe that was a Bibleist tribe, never heard of Jesus, never doesn't have the Bible in their own language and stuff. And they went there to share the gospel with them. And as, as he began to share the gospel with, with that tribe, uh, he, uh, he, he said, he talked to them about, uh, about the Bible, he talked to them about Jesus, and then he thought of talking about Jesus and Jesus crucified. Well, as he told the story about Jesus being crucified and, and Judas betraying him, the people clapped and said, that Judas, he's a great guy. And they were shocked. And what happened was, unknown to them, uh, there's this practice in that particular village, in the villages that surround there, that the warriors would persuade a man to become their friend with the intent of killing and eating him. The more complicated the plan, the more honorable the warrior became among his own village. In other words, to them, Judas was the hero of the story. What do you do about that? You talk about gospel confusion. And so what happens here, they want to honor and sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. And Barnabas have no idea that the crowd would react that way and were mortified. But it happens. That speaks to us. That we need to be careful how we deal with other cultures. And I'm going to give you five things that can help you with this. Okay, five things. First, make sure you know your audience. I don't think Paul really thought about that his audience were mainly Gentiles and that they would have a story like this. Do they understand what you're talking about? Do they understand your language? Uh, uh, we, we do Bible study with internationals, and these internationals have never had the Bible. Never. Maybe one, we get one or two a year that, that have become Christians later, but they don't have the Bible at all. And so they don't understand our words. They don't understand things like justification, sanctification, faith, grace. They don't understand any of that. So what we have to do as we do the Bible study with them, we have to define words. We have to define words to them. And so they will understand what we're talking about. And so one of the things you think about when you're trying to reach someone from, a, uh, from another culture is the words you use. You know, um, you know when I first got up here, got up here I, my accent was a little stronger. And every now and then I'd say something and I'd see all these little question faces in the audience. 
It's usually with people where I spoke at churches. So I had to learn to, to sort of scrub my vocabulary a little bit at times. Secondly, do they understand your rituals? You know, in the early church, the early church was often accused of being cannibalistic. Why? Because of the Lord's Supper. Someone would come to an early church service in, say, the third, first, second, third century, and, and they talk about eating, drinking the blood, eating the, the bread, symbolizing Christ's uh, flesh, and immediately they thought, oh, they're eating and drinking real blood, real blood um, and real flesh, eating real flesh. So they were accused of cannibalism. That's why often uh, before internationals come to our church, especially if we're going to have the Lord's Supper, I explain it to them. I say, we're not really doing this. You know, this is not real blood. This is not a real body, but it's, it's a representation of it. So, so those are... So one thing you do is you, you help them understand your rituals. Thirdly, take time to understand the people's culture. My first international student that I ever dealt with was in South Georgia, and it was a Muslim from a little tiny country in Africa called Gambia. And Gambia is a country that's surrounded by Senegal. And he was coming to my house, and we had missionaries in the Car Senegal that we supported. And so I decided to call them and ask them about how can I make this guy feel comfortable. He was coming to our house for Thanksgiving. And so I called their missionaries, and I asked them, do you know his tribe? And they knew his tribe. And, and I said, what, how can I make him feel comfortable? The first thing you do, he said, you go pick him up, you get out of your car and walk to the door and escort him back to your car. And then you take him to your house. And when you come back, you get out of your car and escort him back to his door and, and leave him there. And, and as he was saying this, I was thinking back when I used to date. I said, that's what I used to do during my dates. <laughs> I said, this is going, and I'm thinking, this isn't going to be strange to him. He said, no, no. He said, listen, Richard, you'll be one up on him. So I did that. And later on, uh, he became a friend of mine. His name is Mustafa. And uh, uh, one day he turned to me and he said, he said Pastor Smith, he said, um, how did you know to escort me from my house to your car and then back again? And I said, well, I called some friends of mine who lived in, in Senegal, and they told me that they do that over there. He said, you made me feel right at home. You know, a little gesture like that. And suddenly the opportunity, and, and, and he still, he called me two days ago. We've been friends for 10 years. So take time to understand people's culture. You know, if you're not sure about what they do, ask them. They're never going to be offended. Uh, I said earlier in the earlier service, one thing I learned about people, they like talking about themselves. And that's the truth. Even Americans, we like talking about ourselves. Okay? 
Fourthly, learn to be listeners and ask questions as you reach each other for the gospel. And this even applies in our own culture. You know, my, my second pastorate was in a little Alabama town called Farala, Alabama. Don't look it up. It's not on a map. Uh, it's about 50 miles north of the Gulf of Mexico on the Alabama-Florida line. And we had 2,500 people in town. And if you took the area in, about 5,000 people. And guess what? Everybody there goes to church. Oh, excuse me. Everybody there is a member of a church. Okay? Uh, only about 10% go. Okay? But they're members of the church. You know, when I first got there, uh, I, I, I asked one of my uh, a local that I got to know real well, I said, what about unbelievers in town? We don't have any like that. <laughs> so, so there was an association in town of evangelical members, uh, evangelical pastors. And one day we were sitting there, and my friend that's the Baptist pastor turned to me and said, Richard, you know, I think our job is to get people unsaved in order to save them. And you know, he was right. Because everybody was a member of the church, but they didn't go. And that was the challenge of that time. And so we had to, to listen and, and, and learn about the local culture in order to really minister to it. To really minister to it. And finally, sometimes culture will help the gospel. Uh, this, uh, a few weeks ago, we celebrated uh, Lunar New Year. And Lunar New Year is celebrated by five countries. Uh, Korea, Japan, Taiwan, China, and Vietnam. Okay? In Vietnam, it's called Tet. Some of y'all who are Vietnam veterans will, will know that. It's called Tet. And um, one of the traditions in the Chinese New Year is that the Chinese go outside their home and they take red paint and they paint the doorpost red on either side. And they do it to ward off evil spirits. What does that sound like to you? Passover. Sometime in their history, the story of Passover made it to China. And it got morphed into their culture. Well, it didn't mean passing of the death angel. It just mean passing of the evil. And so during, during that celebration, I was able to talk to the Chinese about who Jesus was and how Jesus is, provides the red paint or the blood. It used to be blood they used. On the door to ward off, off death. And if you have Jesus in your life and his blood's in your life, it's like painting that door and death will not settle on you and you will live forever. So that is a, a tremendous thing. And let's go back to our story we talked about earlier about the peace child. And um, one of the things that Don really struggled with was how to get off of this concept they found out all these villages uh, believed in. But what he found was a concept called peace child. Each village presents the enemy 
with the infant as a peace child. As long as the child lives, they explained to Richardson, the village lives in peace. In case of an offense, someone may plead the peace child and strife will be done away with. Who is our peace child? Okay, you can say it. Who's our peace child? Jesus. He is our peace child. And here is a perfect example where a missionary has used culture to explain something that reaches into the heart of the culture. He's called the Prince of Peace. He provides peace between who? Us and God. Us and God. He's our peace child. So, so there's some suggestions there as, as we go further in our scripture. So let's see what happens here. Uh, let's go down to verse 15. You know, Paul and Barnabas hear about what's going on. They rush out. Uh, men, why are you doing these things? And we also are men like, like of nature like you. And we bring good news that you should turn from these vain things to living to a living God who made the heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them. In the past generations, he allowed the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without a witness. For he did uh, good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts in food and gladness, even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices. So what, what did they do? Paul and Barnabas answer the gospel confusion back with a simple version of the gospel. In other words, they, they point not to the Old Testament. They point for the fact that there's a God who cared for them, a God who, a God who provided rains and made fruitful times from, for them, and that they should put aside the vain things, which was the things they were getting ready to do, and believe in this God. And that's because there's no use quoting Scripture to people who don't understand it. Okay? They don't understand the words. They don't understand what you're talking about. But yet here, Paul changes his, his language. He does the same way in Athens. We, in Athens. He does a more of a philosophical approach to the gospel. And that's why he tried to get to these people, just like he did in Athens, later on in Acts 17. It's all aimed at a non-Jewish crowd. Now, if I got up my internationals the first day they got here, and I preached a gospel message, they wouldn't have any earthly idea what I was talking about. We had, uh, and I just remember this, we had, uh, one day, we had a Vietnamese guy from Vietnam that came on our, our Zoom Bible study. He was invited by somebody. And uh, Zoom makes it a little harder to define things. It's, it's a lot more difficult doing stuff. And, um, and we asked him, how did he like it? And he said, oh, I understand two or three words, but not much else. <laughs> and I went, Failure. You know, I, I, you know, as soon as he got on, I should have, been, I should have lowered because we had a lot of people on there that had been with us a while, 
And this new guy, he had no idea where we were going. So, this, so there was gospel confusion there. See, gospel confusion can be hard to stop and often will take, be taken advantage by others. What happened here was the fact that later on, the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he were dead. You know, Paul is an amazing fellow. He, he spent a lot of time on his back. And, and that's not in a glib way, because he was stoned, he was whipped, he was all these things. But yeah, he kept getting up. He kept getting up and bringing the gospel to people, to people. And so what we see next is we have a determined gospel. What happens after Paul is, is left for dead? But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city. And, and the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derb. And when they preached the gospel to that city, they made many disciples and returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue the, in their faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when, the church, uh, and, me, and when they, they appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, and they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. So what did Paul do? First thing he did after waking up, he goes back into town. A determined gospel. He goes back in town, and then he and Barnabas go and continue to spread the gospel. They go to Derb, and they do all this, and they come back, appointing elders and encouraging. So what does that tell us? That even amidst confusion of the gospel, people are saved. Even amidst the confusing situation that happened there, people are saved. Because Paul came back and there were believers there. And they appointed elders. That even in the confusion, the gospel still works. Even in the confusion, it still works. Be of courage. If you think that you, can, you can't give the gospel very well, just, uh, just be faithful with it. Because God's word does not return void. It does not return void. So, what about the application for all this? First of all, the power of the gospel and the message of Jesus will change people. I've seen it. I've seen people from all around the world name the name of Christ. Even know even the ones that know they're going to go back and risk their lives when they go back. It changes lives. It changes lives. Secondly, there are many traps in culture. It helps to understand who you're reaching. Uh, even in the United States, there are different parts of the, of, of the world here. Uh, you have the Amish here. You have all sorts of people that you have. There are different cultures than you. And you might even have a southerner come next door to you. So serve them real barbecue. <laughs> yeah. So, 
so reach people for the gospel. Know their cultures. Know who you're talking to. Thirdly, the enemy awaits to take advantage of situations. You know, Paul's enemies, they knew a situation, the situation was right to go over there and interfere. But even those times that they interfere, the gospel continues. The gospel continues. And finally, even after trials, you know, he says, he says here, and when they appointed elders to them in every church with prayer and thanksgiving, um, uh, oh, excuse me, I, I did a verse down. Strengthening the souls of dis- the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many, what, tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Even the tribulation of this gospel confusion, Jesus is at work. Because his gospel is powerful, and it works. Remember that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the word that's before us. We pray, Father, that uh, we would take on the challenge of missions uh, to, to reach other cultures for Jesus. Lord, help us as we maneuver those cultures. Help us be clear with what we say. Help us define. And Lord, may the word continue until we see you again. For us in Christ's name we pray. Amen.